Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. your popcorn and want popcorn right now, raise your hands and they'll bring it. Oh yeah, I know y'all. Y'all like some popcorn. Y'all y'all can't, y'all are like gonna not like me after this week when we don't have popcorn during church. I don't, you're gonna have to bring your own. Uh, or somebody's gonna sell it outside for high prices because they're gonna gouge you. Uh, <laughs> I know how y'all are. All right, so get your popcorn. Uh, we're going to wait just a minute uh, to watch the footage. Um, I will just give you a warning that the um, footage this morning is, uh, the, the scene is at night, so it's very dark, and it's hard to see. Even with the best movie equipment, it's hard to see, so you're going to have to pay special attention this morning. I hope you've enjoyed this series, even though we did use Star Wars. Okay, I, ha- I had to get one final jab in. All right, I hope you did. Well, um, while they're doing that, just let me say thanks to everybody that worked so hard this week to kind of get things almost back to normal. Yeah, we don't have a hole in the ceiling, which is nice, and a bunch of folks made that happen, so I appreciate all your hard work. And Andrew and Jess did get married on Friday night, and they're on their honeymoon, and so we're excited for them know that they're enjoying that time together, and we're looking forward to seeing them back together. All right. Get your Bibles out. Uh, how many of you know you have to make sacrifice to come to church? Okay, yeah, okay. Just want to, uh, yeah, it's opening, it's opening morning of deer season. That's a huge sacrifice. Y'all don't even know. Y'all don't even know. Yeah, I'm sacrificing for y'all this morning. So um, get your Bibles out. I'm going to do something that I don't know that I have done in the uh, course of our 10-year history, I don't know that I've done what I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to read more scripture this morning than I probably have ever read in one setting, but I think it's necessary. I want you to put your finger in Luke chapter 15. Just turn there and put your finger. If y'all watch Robert Morse, that sounds like him right there. Put your finger in Luke chapter 15. He does that every Sunday, but anyway, y'all don't even know. Okay, uh, so Luke f- chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 uh, is a very unique passage, uh, at least it is in my estimation, um, because when you read Luke chapter 15, and we're going to read the entire chapter this morning, uh, it, it probably is no more than 15 to 20 minutes of Jesus' life. I, I know for us, uh, when we're trying to read it, it seems like longer, but it was a discourse that took place, and it was just this short passage of time. Um, what makes it stand out to me is... Um, In this entire chapter, the entire chapter of Luke chapter 15, Jesus is simply telling stories. He tells three separate stories in the scope of this chapter. He tells them for a specific reason. Um, What's taking place, I'll read it to you, but let me just set the scene real quickly. Basically, he is responding to religious folks. The religious folks of his day are angry with him because he's spending his time with people that they don't believe he should spend his time with. Okay, and so they get angry. Uh, They thought these people were less deserving. They thought these people that he was spending his time with were less desirable. They thought that, that these people that Jesus was spending his time with were less important or less needed than them. 
And so they attack Jesus, as religious folks tend to do. Uh, they attack Jesus and, and think they know better than Jesus, and so they attack him. And Jesus responds with stories. You need to understand that Jesus didn't just tell stories to tell stories. Jesus always told stories with an agenda in mind, an end in mind. And the end here was to get them, and Jesus was great at this, to get them to see themselves in the story and to place themselves in the plot so that they would adjust their sorry attitudes. Okay, it doesn't say that, but we know that. Okay, all right. So... I'm asking today that what happens for us is as we read these, that the same thing happened to us. That we would insert ourselves into the plot and we would find ourselves and place ourselves into the story. All right, can you do that with me? Luke chapter 15, okay. Three stories, two traits. Listen, listen to this whole chapter. Luke chapter 15, verse 1, down through verse 32. By this time, a lot of men and women of doubtful reputation were hanging around Jesus listening intently. Aren't you glad that people of doubtful reputation can get to Jesus? All right, two of you. The rest of you were always perfect. Okay. <laughs> the Pharisees and religious scholars were not pleased, not at all pleased. They growled. He takes in sinners and eats meals with them, treating them like old friends. Their, old, their grumbling triggered this story. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and lost one. Wouldn't you leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the lost one until you found it? And when found, you can be sure you would put it across your shoulders rejoicing. And when you got home, call in your friends and neighbors saying, Celebrate with me, I found my lost sheep. Count on it. There's more joy in heaven over one, sinner rescued, one sinner's rescued life than over 99 good people in no need of rescue. Then if one story wasn't enough, he tells the second one. Or imagine a woman who has ten coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and scour the house looking in every nook and cranny until she finds it? And when she finds it, you can be sure she'll call her friends and neighbors, celebrate with me. I found my lost coin. Count on it. That's the kind of party God's angels throw every time one lost soul turns to God. Then That wasn't enough, so here's the third one. Then he said, there was once a man who had two sons. The younger said to his father, I want now, what right now, what's coming to me. And so in other words, Dad, I want you to die because I want the inheritance. So the, that's, that's literally what he's saying. The father divided the property between them, and it wasn't long before the younger son packed his bags and left for a distant country. There, undisciplined and dissipated, he wasted everything he had. After he'd gone through all of his money, there was a bad famine that... Uh, all through the country and he began to hurt and he signed on with a citizen there who assigned him to feed to his fields to slop the pigs and he was so hungry that he would have eaten the corn cobs in the pig slop but no one would give him any that brought him to his senses duh that'd bring me to my senses and he said all those farm hands working for my father sit down to three meals a day they have popcorn for every meal and here I am starving to death I'm going back to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me on as a hired hand. And he got right up, and he went home to his father, and when he was still a long way off, his father saw him, his heart pounding. He ran out, embraced him, and kissed him. The son started his speech. Father, 
I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. But the father wasn't listening. He was calling to the servants, quick, bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put the family ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then get a grain-fed heifer and roast it. We're going to feast. I barbecue, it must have happened here. And then, uh, We're going to have a wonderful time. My son is here. Given up for dead and now alive. Given up for lost and now found. And they began to have a wonderful time. And all this time, his older son was out in the field, and when the day's work was done, he came in, and as he approached the house, he heard the music and the dancing, and he called over one of the houseboys, and he asked what's going on, and he told him, your father, or your brother has come home. Your father has ordered a feast, barbecued beef, because he, is, he has him home safe and sound. The older brother stalked off in an angry sulk and refused to join in, and his father came out and tried to talk to him, but he wouldn't listen, and then the son said, look, how many years have I stayed here serving you, never giving you one moment of grief, but you've thrown a party, you've never thrown a party for me and my friends. And then this son of yours who has thrown away your money on whores now shows up and you go all out with a feast. And his father said, son, you don't understand. You're with me all the time and everything that is mine is yours. But this is a wonderful time and we had to celebrate This brother of yours was dead, and he's alive. He was lost, and he's found. There are basically two simple traits or attitudes that I want to draw your attention to this morning um, that these three stories reveal about our father. But I also want you to understand that the reason Jesus told these three stories back to back to back was he not only was trying to tell us about our Father, he was trying to convince us that we must emulate and imitate these same traits when we deal with those around us. It's not enough to read these stories and think, well, this shows me about how my Father loves people and cares for people unless we place ourselves in the plot and understand that Jesus is literally trying to rattle our cage, if you will, to get us to, to take on, to, to, us, to, to grab these traits that we see in our Father and become like Him. So let me get out of your way and just give you two traits quickly. The first one is this. These accounts show us very quickly that our Father has this trait of awareness. It's, a, it's striking to me uh, that one thing that remains the same in each of these three stories, they, they, they have some similarities, but they also have some things that are different about them. But there is one thing that is the same in all three accounts, and that is, is there is a, a distinct sense of awareness because it doesn't really matter what level of prosperity or affluence is mentioned in the account. In each account, the, 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 the main character was very aware of the lost. Notice, if you will, that in the first story, it's so apparent that uh, the shepherd has 100 sheep, but he noticed that one is gone. Think about, okay, y'all, y'all don't get it, all right? Because some of y'all don't even notice when, like, you have one dog missing. Uh, 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 
you never know when the cat's missing, uh, but because uh, uh, it's just on vacation. But uh, but but in this account, the shepherd was so intentionally involved in the lives of the sheep and knew them so well that as he's looking, oh y'all. You don't get it. A hundred sheep. You you take a moment today. This is your assignment to drive out somewhere, West Oklahoma. Just head for West Oklahoma. I don't care where. Where you can see fields full of cattle, full of cattle, hundreds and hundreds of cattle, and stand there and try to recognize when one is missing. Just one. And yet, in this account, the shepherd was so tuned in that he recognized when one was missing. When one was gone. By telling these three stories, Jesus shows us that there is awareness at all levels. Because it didn't matter if you were dealing with a hundred sheep, or if you were dealing with ten coins, or you were dealing with two sons. The, the same happens in all three stories. The, the, the main character recognized and was aware when one or ten was lost. So what Jesus does is he makes it clear that even if you have 99 left, missing one is not acceptable. Okay. He shows us that, that it doesn't matter if it's 1% is missing. It doesn't matter if 100% is missing. It doesn't matter if 50% missing. The loss at any level, the, the loss is not acceptable. What he's trying to do is then is he's trying to convince us is that it should not be okay with us if most, just most of our family is saved. We shouldn't sleep well at night because half of our office complex has heard the gospel but the other half has not and we sleep soundly and it doesn't bother us. It shouldn't be okay with us if one person at our school got saved this year or two people at school got saved this year. That should not be okay with us because there is no loss that is acceptable. Okay. It should not be okay with us if we go a week of, of Sundays with no one giving their heart to Jesus. It should not be okay with us if you go all week long, week after week, and you never have the opportunity to lead anyone to Christ, to share the good news. It, he's saying you've got to be aware that everywhere you go, regardless of how many people in your life do know Jesus, we must remain aware of the fact that there are lost folks out there. In fact, what this, what this does is it shows us that... Um, that in all three accounts, the focus and the emphasis of the story shift away from those that are safe. And it becomes about those that are lost. Okay, we have real issues with that, don't we? Because don't we tend, as church people, don't we tend, if we're not careful, to shift all the focus onto those that have already been saved and we try to comfort those that have been saved and we try to satisfy those that have been saved and we try to placate those that have been saved and we try to coddle those that have been saved and we try to make those that have been saved comfortable and we try to do the songs you like and we try to, we try to make it but we're no longer aware. But, the, but in these accounts, the, the, the emphasis is completely and entirely shifted off of those that have been found to those that are lost. 
He's saying we must become decidedly aware and completely focused on those who haven't heard. There's a second trait, and uh, it is also obvious in all three accounts because Jesus is trying to teach us that not only must we be aware, but the second trait is this. We must have this sense of urgency about us. Uh, all you got to do is you read back through these accounts and you recognize the urgency. We, we, we read them too, uh, too nice, uh, too cleaned up, if you will. But if you read them the way... If you, if you, the only way to do this is to put yourself in the in the story. You're the shepherd with a hundred sheep and one's lost. You're the woman with the ten coins who loses her coins, her 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 uh, all that she owns basically. You're the dad whose son has walked away, and you're not sure you'll ever see him alive again. And out of that, Jesus shows us a sense of urgency. Can you, can you sense it? Because here, here's a shepherd with a hundred sheep and one's God. And the Bible says that the shepherd, Jesus said, the shepherd leaves 99. He doesn't leave them in the corral. He, leads, he leaves them in the wilderness to go and find the one that was lost. In other words, he's risking all the other sheep. He's leaving them almost, it's like he's almost leaving them exposed or vulnerable. But he's so desperate to find the one that he says, I will leave it all to go find this one that's out there by himself, that is struggling by his lonesome, that has, a, has this, uh, this, this opportunity. He's probably going to die out of here by himself. And Jesus leaves it all. The shepherd leaves it all. You go into the account of the woman who lost the ten coins, and she tears her complete house up. Like she's got the home on the parade of homes, like better homes and gardens. Everything's got a place, and everything is in its place. It's nice and spick and span, but when she loses the ten coins, the Bible, Jesus says she tears the place up. Sense of urgency. i got to go find. But probably the account that reveals it the most is the third story because it's the story of the father who stands on his porch or at the end of his driveway every day for how long? We don't know how long. Was it one day? Was it three weeks? Was it three years? Could it have been 30 years? It doesn't matter. All we know is that he stood on his porch and he watched and he longed for and he he. he he had this urgency about him. My son, he's got to come home to the point that when he finally sees from afar, a long ways off, I don't know, he must have recognized his son's walk. And the Bible says that he ran. He didn't just run. He gathered up his robe. You say, well, there's no risk involved in that. We've talked about this before. There is risk involved in that because when he shows his legs, that is embarrassing and he can be judged by the other people in his community to the point of being put to death but he's so urgent that he runs to protect his son because he knows that his son is now at risk not only was he at risk there he's at risk coming home because if the townspeople see him before he sees him they will kill him and he runs he was urgent he was desperate A sense of urgency, willing to go to great lengths. In fact, what Jesus does here is that by telling these stories, Jesus is responding to these religious leaders. And I want you to notice what he's doing. These religious leaders have attacked him because he's hanging out with prostitutes and sinners. 
And Jesus is literally saying, he doesn't have to come out and say it in certain words. He just says it because he's telling the stories. He tells them, I will go to great risks. In fact, he's saying this, I will risk my own reputation. And I will allow you to think less of me. In order to get to them. And I'm so desperate for that and so urgent about that that I will go to great lengths. I will lay down all of my reputation. I will, I will, I will risk ever being on the front of Charisma magazine. I, 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 will, I will let you talk bad about me on Facebook. I will let you tweet bad about me. I don't really care as long as I can get to the one that needs me. Sense of urgency. I will try everything to get to those that everybody else avoids. Will you watch this and see if it doesn't speak to what we're talking about this morning?
I know it's dark, but here's the deal. Desmond Doss was a conscientious objector who signed up as a medic. And they sent him to the Battle of Okinawa in World War II. No gun. No grenades. No bayonets. He went in completely unarmed. He finds himself on top of what they now call Hacksaw Ridge and um, the, the, the scenes in the movie are unbelievable. The bombing, the Americans bomb the top of Hacksaw Ridge relentlessly for days. And the troops go up the ridge, up that steep cliff that you can't see on, that, on this footage, but they climb this straight wall up and they go and they think they've killed all the enemy. And so at the end of the day, they all retreat, except for those that are wounded and Desmond Doss. He didn't know they were retreating. And he finds himself on the edge of that ridge all by himself. And all the, the American and allied troops have, have retreated down the ridge. And he's all by himself. And for the all night long, he goes back. And the Japanese come out of their foxholes and out of their tunnels, and they have not been wiped off the face of the planet like the Allies thought, and they begin to search through the wounded and kill them. And he's dodging the Japanese, plays dead one time, does all kinds, and at the end of that, after being shot four times, by himself, single-handedly, he lowers 75 men off of that ridge and saves their life. And so the question in light of the three stories that Jesus told and the two traits that he begins to share with us and then this account on this video, my question is this for you this morning. Who is your one more? Desmond Doss asked this, this request from God as he begins to pray on top of that ridge. He says, just give me the strength to get one more, just one more. My question to you this morning is this, is when is the last time you pulled one to safety? See, I, I want you to understand this morning that I am extremely thankful for all those that we've seen saved over the course of our history, but our cry must be just one more. Are, are we so satisfied? Are we even aware of the lost anymore? Have, have we been saved so long? That most of us are no longer aware that there are people that we come into contact with every day that are wounded behind enemy lines that need us. There's no awareness. We have no sense of urgency. We just order our coffee and go on. 
Are we satisfied with the 99? Are we content with the one that is in our house? Or are we so urgent about the rescue of those that are still exposed to enemy's fire and to enemy death and enemy destruction that we have a heart that cries out, just let me find one more. Let me just get one more. Let me just rescue one more. Can, can you help me, God? Let it be my, my urgent cry. Let it be the cry. Let it keep me up at night. Let me get just one more. One more. I believe that too many of us are way too comfortable. We become timid and distracted and we're so self-centered that we no, we're no longer aware that there are people around us that are being wounded and killed. We must get back on task. We must value the one. We must be willing to risk everything. We must love souls more than we love safety. So who is your one more? <clears throat> I, I think our issue is that many of us have become so content in our savedness that we no longer ask for what really matters. See, I want you to understand this morning that I hear our cries. I hear our cries for provision. I hear our cries for favor. I hear our, our cries for protection. I hear our cries for all of those kind of things. But the cry that I don't hear like I think I should hear is I don't hear a cry for the one the one that was lost, the one that was left, the one that's behind enemy lines. Where are the people that will cry, God, give me one more and I won't rest. I won't rest until the end that is the only remaining member of my family that's no longer saved is saved. I won't quit crying out to you until the one person at my job that doesn't know your son Jesus as Savior gets saved. I won't quit crying out until every person in my school, every person in my neighborhood, every person on my team, every person I come into contact with gets to know your son and is saved. Today I remind you that there are Lost sheep. Today I remind you that there are lost coins. Treasures. I remind you that there are lost sons. And I remind you that the Lord placed us behind enemy lines to carry them to safety. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around except my prayer team. This morning, if you're here, or maybe you're watching over the internet and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, then you're our one more. Today, you are the one more. If you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus and you're not in relationship with Him and He is not the Savior and the Lord of your life, we will not embarrass you, but we do want to pray intelligently. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up and you can pull it right back down. And by doing that, you're saying, I am surrendering my heart and life to Jesus. I'm the one. I'm the one. Father, this morning, I pray that you would search our hearts. I pray in these next few moments, as we corporately take some action, that you would increase in us a sense of awareness and you would increase in us a sense of urgency. We would not become content with those that are already rescued. We would love the ones that are rescued, but we would not become content with them when others are lost. 
we would be willing to risk everything to reach those that need to be rescued. Would you stand with me this morning and would you get the little movers card that was given to you when you walked in. And I know most of you or many of you already have a movers card that you carry with you and that's fine. If you had that one, that's fine. But this morning, this is what I want you to do. I want you to grab a pen in the the little pocket there in front of you and I'm going to give you for just a second I'm going to give you I know it has a slot for 10 but this morning if if you have a blank one of these and haven't already filled it out I just want you to write one just one one name who's the one person that God is speaking to you this morning say that's your one and you won't become content until you get that one. Come on, take a moment. Take a moment. I'm going to let you do that, and then we're going to bring them up here to the front together. We're going to pray. Once you have your one written down, I want you to bring your card, and I want you to come and stand with me up here. Just bring your card. Once you have it written down, just come up here and stand right now. I want you to hold it up. This is the one you're after right here. Father, you see these cards raised. This is the one that keeps us up at night. This is the one we're worried about. This is the one that grips our heart. This is the one that we're concerned. This is the one we're aware of. This is the one that we're urgent about. Father, I pray this morning corporately as we lift this one to you that you would position us in such a manner that we have the right words, the right attitude that that, that when others run away from this individual and all their issues and all their troubles, we run to them instead. Help us, God, to get one more. This is the one we we want. This is the one we need. This is the one that we're desperate for. This is the one we cry over. This is the one we fast over. This is the one that we call out. God, we want this one. Help us. Help us. Just one more. Just give us the strength. Give us the opportunity. Help us to be determined. Father, if there's anything in our own attitude in our own life that would cause us to turn this person away from you rather than drawing them to you I pray that you would fix it right now send us as a medic to those that are hurt Father I pray that what you would do in this moment 
is that as we call out for this one, that at the same time you would show us as part of this body what could take place if we all just rescue one. The dramatic impact that it could have on your kingdom if we all just win one. Father, I pray that we would not be absent-minded about the fact that our one matters. And I pray that we would recognize that corporately together as we each win one, something happens in your kingdom. There's a multiplication that takes place. And your kingdom would be expanded because we believe our one's going to win one and that one that they win will win another. And the line continues. So, Father, together, I ask for a mighty harvest of souls in this house. And I pray that we would lose any contentment or apathy. You would shake us to be desperate enough to do whatever we need to do. with me? Would you just say this with me? Jesus, I claim this person as my one right now. Come on, would you just say that as a part? I claim this person as my one. I could go after the 99, but this is my one. I pray that with laser-like precision and focus, we would go after this one. And together, we would see an incredible harvest of souls coming days I ask you to accomplish this and then Father I pray this when we win that one it would bless us so much that we would find ourselves saying just one more just one more and then when we see that one saved I pray that again we would cry out from the depths of our spirit just one more just one more see the kingdom of the enemy destroyed as people are brought to life and a wholeness. We ask you to accomplish this in Jesus' name. Would you do this as, before I let you go back, would you just do this? Would you just say, one more God, just one more. One more. Now I want you to turn to somebody next to you and say, I'm praying for you that you will get your one if you will pray for me that I get my one. And then you can find your way back to your seat if you'd like for just a moment. Keep that card with you. Put it somewhere where you'll see it every day. been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.